Heavenly Father, when we look at the calendar, whether it's the church calendar, our personal calendar, the school calendar, the calendar at work, there's a lot going on. Probably too much. And those full calendars remind us that they can also be distractions. Distractions that keep us from important things. Our relationships with one another. Rest. Even prayer. And so we pray this morning that as we open your word and we look at a lesson on prayer, and the importance of a life lived in persistent prayer, that you would help us understand how it applies to our particular situation, where we live, where we work, where we play, shop, community, friends. How persistent prayer benefits the temporal, but also how it benefits us because it's anchored in the eternal. So encourage us, we pray by your Spirit in a life of persistent prayer. And all God's people said, Amen. All right. Well, grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, Luke 18, that's where we're going to be today, and this is actually the only lesson we're going to have out of, out of Luke 18 in the weeks to come, and I'll tell you why that's uh, of minor importance um, when we get uh, to the gist of the story. But let's go ahead and look at the scripture first. Mike's going to put it up on the screen for us, and again, as always, if you want to open up uh, your app on your phone or your tablet, uh, or open up the old school uh, paper Bible, uh, or even the Pew Bible in front of you, uh, feel free to do so. Sometimes when you look at different, uh, um, what's the word? Versions, thank you. Sometimes when you look at different versions, it might bring additional insight uh, or flavor. Uh, it might spice it up a bit for you if, if, uh, if, if, uh, if you needed to. So, all right, Luke 18. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that, though, uh, that, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And this is the parable. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while the judge refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says then. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So that's the text for us this morning. But let's start with this quote. This is actually from um, the 18th century. Uh, this is from Philip Stanhope, who was known as the fourth Earl of Chesterfield. Right? Uh, but he said this, he said, learning is only acquired by reading people. 
and studying all the various editions of them. How many of you like to people watch? <laughs> right? At the airport, a sporting event, the grocery store, the library, anywhere large numbers of people gather and move about, right? It can be a lot of fun to people watch. Because each person, if you want to look at it this way, is in a sense like a book. They have a, a story to tell, right? Uh, one can learn a lot from getting to know people and from hearing their story and learning their story and discovering their world or experiences. Uh, that's what it means to be instructive, right? And this is exactly what Jesus is doing in Luke chapter 18. And in fact, the whole chapter, he will use different uh, people for different illustrations for different teaching lessons. And so Luke records that Jesus uh, talks about widows and politicians. He talks about Pharisees and scribes. He talks about children and adults. He talks about the rich and the poor. And so that's what we want to do this week. Learn a lesson by looking into the life of a particular person. We are people watching Jesus style today, right? Now, if you want to, go read the rest of Luke 18 and you can look into the lives of those characters which Jesus uses to make additional uh, points. But for the widow, but for the widow, what do we learn from focusing on her today, from watching her? Well, first consider the biblical setting of this parable, right? Because we're not in a traditional courtroom. Like you turn on the TV and you watch an episode of Law and Order, right? That's not what I want you to envision um, when you hear that she's going before the judge. Think instead in a sense of an itinerant uh, uh, a judge going from town to town, right? He's got a tent, possibly. He's got a retinue of people who, who help him, all right? Uh, set up shop, if you will, uh, to proceed uh, with the court. Um, but here, in this particular case, it's the law which sets the agenda, uh, and if you want your case heard, and if you want to win your case, <laughs> you got to be prepared to grease the wheels of justice, right? So this puts the widow in a further bind. So you can think about these obstacles that she has before her that she has to overcome. I mean, one, she's a woman, right? And in this particular time and age, uh, a woman had almost no standing before the law. Patriarchy, hierarchy, uh, she was at the bottom. Two, the text tells us she's a widow, so she has no husband to, to be an advocate for her, to stand before the law and argue her case for her. And as being as she was poor, um, as I said, she would not have been able to bribe justice uh, for favorable treatment. And so Jesus uses someone marginalized in society, you know, perhaps an unlikely character for us, uh, but to teach a lesson on the persistency of prayer. Why persistence in prayer is important for a child of God uh, in, in our life of faith. So let me do this for you. Go back to Luke 18. Mike's going to put up a breakdown of the text. So if you were just looking at these eight verses, all right, in the text, you could see that it's a study in contrasts. So the first verse, all right, is a contrast between what it means to persistently pray or pray with persistence versus losing heart or quitting or feigning, 
right? Some translations use the word quit or faint. Um, Verses 2 through 5, the contrast is between the widow and God's elect, all right, the church. And then the last contrast is the judge uh, and the father uh, in the text. So with those contrasts, let's look at the power of persistent prayer in the life of the believer. Okay, verse 1 is really simple. Could you put verse 1 back up on the text? Okay, Um, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Verse 1 is what it is, right? It says what it says, and it means what it means. If we don't pray, we lose heart. If we pray, we don't lose heart. One plus one equals two. (laughs) In fact, the phrase lose heart, or as I said, quit or faint, it describes a believer so discouraged that he or she loses heart, wants to quit, wants wants to give up. How many have ever been there? How many, have ever, how many of you have ever found yourself in a place where you wanted to quit, where you wanted to give up, where you wanted just to throw in the towel? It seemed like the, the easiest and the only way out of the t- at the time. It could be a relationship. It could be a, a job. I, I particularly think of entrepreneurs, right, um, who... Uh, face a mountain of obstacles, but it could be it could be a health issue like chronic pain. It could be attempts to save money and, and right the financial ship. I mean, the brokenness of life and the presence of sin gives us this long list uh, in our lives, right? That you could probably think of sometime uh, when you just said, "I give up. I give up." So why this lesson on persistence on not quitting? Is this the little engine that could before the little engine was ever invented, right? Is this a motivational speech? <laughs> Why this lesson on persistence or ongoing or the, or the importance of an ongoing prayer life? All right. Well, in the context of this verse, all right, this comes just after Jesus has finished a, a sort of discussion about the coming of the kingdom of God among them, right? We pray that, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? And so Jesus is preparing the disciples that at one day he will return. At one day there will be the new heavens and the new earth. At one day there will be uh, this great judgment. He is preparing them, not just for the temporal, but also for the eternal. And so this admonition, this encouragement to the disciples for persistent prayer is is not first to get their earthly needs met, where we usually focus our prayers, but first and foremost to take the long view of things and their life of faith as followers of Jesus, to pray for the coming of the kingdom and the saving work of God among them first. Why? So that they, so that we as the people of God would be anchored in something eternal, right? Anchored in something eternal, as opposed to trying to find our anchorage in something temporal, something material. To take the long view of things, to pray for the coming of the kingdom and the saving work of God among them, to anchor them in something eternal before they ever begin to pray about something temporal. If they aren't anchored in the eternal, then the troubles of the temporal are sure to distract. The troubles of the temporal 
are sure to negatively impact the faith of the people of God. So whether it's the disciples then or whether it's you and me today. All right, so think about this. Um, Would you put that slide up? Speaking of temporal, the picture? Yeah, sorry. Okay, so at some point, you have turned on the news, gone on the internet, and you've seen pictures from places like China or perhaps even India where the pollution is so bad, right, that it looks like winter. That when people go out of doors, they have to wear masks, which probably don't do much good anyway, right? But pollution so bad that breathing becomes difficult uh, for the people there, right? Uh, the pollution, obviously, it's going to negatively affect their health, won't it? When you and I pray, we draw on the purest, freshest air. That's the air of heaven, right? We don't need the temporal air of fog, smog, whatever, pollution, if you will, the things of the world. But like the cleanest oxygen, we remain tethered to the love and character of God. So my point being not to be praying is to be like trying to remain healthy in that atmosphere. It's virtually impossible. And so for you and for me, our wellness, the health of our and vitality of our spiritual life, um, comes to us through that oxygen, that pure air of heaven. Well, try this. Here's something different. Speaking of breathing, though, have you ever heard the phrase from the Apostle Paul from uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing? You ever heard that phrase, pray without ceasing? Does he mean to, like, continually repeat a prayer as we walk down the road or, or as we drive? Uh, How about this? I think what Paul is saying is he's saying make prayer as natural as breathing. As natural as breathing, right? Unless we're sick and living in Beijing, right? Or you're on the floor wrestling with your big brother who's got the pillow and is smothering your mouth, right? So you can't breathe. We rarely think about breathing, right? We just do it. And so that idea is that prayer becomes such a habit, such a, uh, a, a, if you will, that conversation with Jesus is so natural that it's this clean atmosphere that allows us to thrive in a life of faith. So prayer, whether it's informal or formal, whether it's um, extemporaneous or planned, whether it's private or public, whether it's ongoing uh, and It is ongoing and active conversation with God for us and for our life of faith. All right, so that's that first section. Constant praying, continuous conversation with God, not losing heart or fainting or quitting. Even if the delay seems long, whether it's his return we are after or a need, Jesus reminds us as followers to continue, to continue, to continue. All right, let's look at the, wit- the widow real quick. She in the text is contrasted with God's elect, right, the church. 
Now, Jesus did not say that God's people are like this woman, all right? He says, in fact, just the opposite. And he says that, he says, because we're not like her, because we're not like her, we should be encouraged in our praying. And now, what Jesus does here is, he does often, he argues from the lesser to the greater, right? From the lesser to the greater, meaning if a poor widow got what she deserved from a selfish judge, how much more will God's children receive what is, what is right from a loving father, right? How much more will we as the people of God receive from God because he created us? Because he redeemed us in the waters of baptism, because he continues to sanctify us as his people. I mean, the widow is a stranger to the judge, but brothers and sisters, we're not strangers to God. We're called children of God, and God cares for his children. I mean, besides, the widow had no access to the judge unless she bribed somebody, right? But the Word of God tells us we have open access to the Father, 24-7, 365, and no need to bribe. That's Ephesians chapter 3, 11 through 12. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Boldness and access. But the widow had to badger The widow had to complain. The widow had to continue to go back and back again and again and again. A couple other things for the widow, for us, contrasted to the widow. You know, Scripture tells us we have an advocate, 1 John 1, 21. No, I'm sorry, 1 John 2, 1, sorry. And a high priest, Hebrews chapter 2, right, 17 through 18. An advocate who constantly represents us before the Father. And when we pray, the word brings the promises of God to us. But remember, the the widow, she didn't have any promises, even from the law. She thought the law would be her advocate. The law is never the advocate. And then, of course, through the Holy Spirit, or through the word, we have the Holy Spirit who assists us in our prayers. But here's, here's something I want you to think about. I think the greatest contrast is that the widow came to a court of law. But brothers and sisters, we get to go to the throne of grace. See the difference? The widow went to the law. But we, we get grace. This Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near. Could you imagine if it said, let us then with confidence draw near to the law? <laughs> That we may receive mercy? No. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. So she pleads out of her poverty. And we plead out of the riches of God himself. Because it was a God's grace, God's riches, which sent his son to remedy that, that, that spiritual, emotional, physical, relational poverty we experience in this world. It was his mercy, his compassion, his power. He does it for you and for me. Imagine if the judge had known ahead of time what the woman wanted and was prepared to be an advocate for her and was prepared to surprise her with good news. But he didn't. 
did he? He would have been the star of the story. (laughs) But he wasn't. And so that leads us to the last contrast. That's the judge and the father, verses 6 through 8. And this one's pretty obvious, right? This is like verse 1 of the text where it is what it it is, right? God is not like the judge, Jesus says. God is this loving father, attentive to our cries, uh, generous in his gifts, concerned about our needs, and ready to answer when we call. The only reason the judge helped the widows because he didn't want, as the text tells us, uh, to, to get to beat down. But if you were to literally translate the Greek, it says black eye, but not a physical black eye. Because despite the fact saying he didn't care about what people thought about him, yes, he did. He didn't want to get a black eye in public relations (laughs) with the people around him. But unlike the judge, God doesn't lie to us. He is true to himself and his word. Uh, The only reputation at stake is the the judges, not the Lord's. Why? Because he's never been unfaithful to us, to his creation. He's never been unfaithful even to his own character. And it's in the Lord's compassion and mercy for sinners that we are to place our trust and hope and persist in our prayer. So here's the deal. As much as we might think the story is about the widow or the judge or the widow and the judge, the story is about God and the persistent prayers of God's people who cry out to him in their suffering, who find themselves anchored in the eternal and who continue also to pray about the temporal. So people watching the widow and the judge and how the story unfolds is a lesson in contrast, yes, but a contrast that we don't have to play a part of because our attention like that of the disciples is in the end captured by Jesus, captured by his grace, captured by his mercy, captured by his faithfulness. And so the faith of the people of God focused on the character of God who are learning to be persistent in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for uh, your word to us today. I'm grateful for uh, the widow's witness, if you will, uh, and the persistency in prayer uh, she showed. Uh, May we, Lord, come before you uh, with persistency in those prayers, Uh, not just our temporal needs, but also uh, the eternal needs, Um, and continuing, uh, Lord, to thank you uh, for your love for us. So we commend ourselves to you and uh, pray it all in Jesus' name.